So Philippians uh, chapter 1. And I'm going to begin uh, reading in verse 1, but we'll focus our time on verses 3 through 6 this morning. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these beautiful words of Scripture, uh, this promise that you have not only begun the work, but you will complete it. And not only have you completed the work on the cross, but you will complete it in our lives, and you will bring us and glorify us on that day when you return. Uh, may our hearts rest in that amazing truth, and may our lives be lives of joy, knowing uh, that we are yours. Uh, be with us now as we consider your word together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, sometimes the letter of the, uh, uh, to the Philippians, it's referred to as the epistle of joy. And that's easy for us to understand. We, we see right away Paul is expressing his joy. He will use that word joy or some, some form of it no, uh, no less than 14 times throughout this short letter. And it seems like Paul is one of those people uh, where, where nothing can affect his mood. He seems like he's just effortlessly cheerful. Uh, maybe you know somebody like that. Jess and I, we recently watched... Uh, uh, started watching Ted Lasso, that TV show, and uh, 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 Ted is is one of those people. He he's an American football coach. The the story, if you don't know, he's an American football coach, and he's hired by by an English football club or, or soccer club, as we would say. Uh, but he's hired on false pretenses, and and the whole time people are working behind his back to sabotage him. And so even though he's going through all these different difficult family dynamics and and his, and his workplace is very hostile. Uh, Ted is always so cheerful. He can always turn everything into a positive moment or into a learning experience. And that's how Paul is as well, it seems. If there was anyone who ever deserved to be irritable or we'd understand, you know what, he's having a bad day. He can, he can, <laughs> he can be angry. That would be Paul. Over the course of his entire missionary career, uh, he, was, he was stoned and beaten, jailed on multiple occasions. He'd be ridden out of cities. Uh, he'd be abandoned by close friends. He'd be attacked by enemies who were even closer. And yet, yet even through all of that, he, uh, as he found himself in a Roman cell writing this letter to the Philippians, as he saw a possible execution and the end of his life awaiting him, He was able to start this letter with these words. I give thanks. How is it possible for Paul to have that kind of mindset? And now it's not that Paul was was overlooking all the the bad things that were happening to him. He wasn't just putting on a brave face. He wasn't pretending that it didn't exist. And we'll see that as we go through the letter. He's he's very happy and he he actually uh, is willing to share all of his struggles with the Philippians. And it's important for him to do so. It's important for us to do so as we bear one another's burdens. That's, that's something that, that uh, is, is part of, of church. Yet through all of this, he's still able to give thanks. 
So as we look now at our, at our text uh, this morning, uh, we're going to see that uh, our passage is going to tell us and give us some insight into how Paul can have this kind of mindset. Because our passage, it doesn't only tell us what kind of, of thankful and joyful prayer and what kind of life that looks like, but it also tells us how. It gives us the how that we can achieve that kind of, of prayer life, that kind of mindset. And so in other words, it shows us the grounds or it shows us the reasons why Paul felt this way. So how then can we be thankful when there doesn't seem like there's much to be thankful about? How can we give thanks when we go through significant uh, uh, difficult uh, seasons of life or, or seasons of transition and change? Uh, do we grow tired? Do we grow despaired? Or can we trust in God? Can we hope in him? And we can't manufacture this ourselves, but we can achieve this kind of thankfulness that Paul knew. And we can do that when we understand where this thankfulness comes from. And so we can say it like this, the title of the sermon, the main idea, the main proposition. We talked about what that was last week. Well, here's what it is for this week. It's that God's unending faithfulness produces thankfulness that never ends. See, that's it. The reason we can have thankfulness that never ends is because of God's unending faithfulness toward us. So let's look at those two things. We're going to look at that thankfulness first, that thankfulness that we have. That's the first thing we'll consider, this thankfulness that never ends. Can we describe what this looks like? Can we, can we describe, can we, can we set the stage and set the, set the goal before us of what we should be striving uh, toward? Our passage describes this kind of thankfulness in, in a few different ways. And, and one of the things it says is it describes the nature of this thankfulness This is a thankfulness that is unending and that it is joyful. Rather than being shallow and and surface level only, the first thing we notice from the text is that this is a this is profuse. This is this is everywhere. It's it's never ending. It's a constant thing. So listen to Paul's words again as he opens this this letter. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all. Making my prayer with joy. You see, no less than four times already, Paul uses some form of that word all. This is not just an occasional activity for Paul. This is not just uh, one compartment of his life that he has over here. And, and then uh, that's his joyful part. And he has uh, his angry part and, and whatever else. But it's, it, everything is surrounded by this, this thanksgiving to God. He's always giving thanks to God. And he's always doing that through prayer. See, our passage also describes the importance of this thankfulness. That is, it's something that's inseparable from the Christian life. Christians ought to be thankful and they express that thankfulness through prayer. They go together. And I've already been using those words somewhat interchangeably. And that's because they are in many ways seamless. A thankful Christian is a, is a praying Christian. A prayerful Christian is, is a Christian that's full of thanksgiving. It's an inseparable characteristic of the Christian life. And, and now just to be clear, what Paul is not saying is that he, he never stopped praying. But that whenever he did pray, he would always bring uh, his, his thanksgiving to God, specifically about the Philippians. 
Uh, Paul will conclude a, another letter uh, to the Thessalonians, uh, and, uh, which is uh, not far from Philippi. He'll conclude that letter with several different appeals, and one of which he says is to pray without ceasing. And so what does Paul mean there? Does he mean that we should always pray, that every single breath we take should be a prayer, that we should, we should never leave our prayer closets, that we should spend every uh, waking moment of our lives in prayer? Well, that, that's not what he's saying. But, but that's really not our interpretive problem in that text. If only that was our problem, that we were praying too much. If only that were the case. But to pray without ceasing is to have a life that's so saturated with prayer that it's so second nature to us that we can't imagine life without it. It's, it's that our, our lives are organized around it, that our, our mornings and our evenings are, are surrounded by prayer, that our children see us praying for, for our meals and praying with one another, that we do not neglect that all-important task. And I just think of how different my life would be or how much, how much sweeter my communion with God to me if I had taken uh, prayer life so seriously, if we take it more seriously, especially when I was younger too. And so I, I look at all these uh, wonderful students we have and, and our, our, the younger people in our service, and, and I wish I could go back in time, but I can't. So the next best thing I can do is just tell you who were my age 10 and 15 years ago and tell you to not neglect prayer. And to not neglect reading the Bible. Read through your Bibles once every year. Oh, it's so worth it. And pray. Seek the Lord in prayer. What a, what a delight, what a privilege we have to pray to our Heavenly Father. So no, don't neglect that. And, of course, that's true of all of us. Uh, uh, E.M. Bounds uh, wrote a classic little book on, on prayer and the, the power and the importance of prayer. And, and he makes this, this very profound point. He says, the world is looking for better systems, but God is looking for better men. I love that so much. In other words, what he's saying is, is being precedes doing. Who we are and who we are in private will always determine what we're able to do in public. We need to be who we were created to be in Christ before we're able to do what God calls us to do. Bounds it. He's writing primarily to, to pastors and elders in the church. And so that's a challenge for us. And I'll speak to the elders in the room here. Are we praying for our people the way we ought to? Are we lifting them up? Are we lifting our, our, our church up? To the Lord. That's a challenge for myself. That's a challenge for all of us. Are we praying for each other? Are you praying for me? Are you praying for your elders? We need your prayers. Bounds again, he says, again, such a helpful short statement. He says, talking to men for God is a great thing. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm talking to you. He says, talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. Are we bringing God's people before God in prayer just as much, if, if not more so, than what we're doing right now when we, we talk to one another and encourage one another? All those things are important. We needed to be doing all of that, but are we praying with the same kind of fervor as we are, as I am? Do I pray as much as I need to be, as, as fervently as I am uh, speaking to you this morning?
See, our lives, they, they must be marked by this kind of constant and consistent prayer. And all this, uh, Paul says, is that we make our prayers with joy. Now, that's not to say that there's only one kind of prayer. That's not to say that we can't bring all of our cares and our concerns and our anxieties and, and even our pain and frustration and anger to the Lord. Uh, we, we should do that. We should bring all those things to him. But the overall tenor or the, the shade or the hue of our prayers should be joyful. They should be marked with joy. And the best way that we can do this is to remember the direction of our prayers. You see, our passage also, still thinking about the the nature of this thankfulness that never ends, our passage also describes the direction of that thankfulness. That thankfulness is always directed toward God. So notice this, we we can't miss this. Who does Paul give thanks to as he begins this letter? Does he thank the Philippians? No, he says, I thank my God. Not only is he he thanking God, but he's thanking his God. He's thanking his personal God, a God who who knows him and and who he knows personally. This is the same God who met him so powerfully on that Damascus road several years ago who forgave his former way of life and his sins and how he persecuted the church, gave him new meaning and a commission to the Gentiles who's been with him throughout his entire ministry. That's who Paul is thanking as he begins this letter. To him alone, he gives thanks. And sometimes we can uh, just be so uh, generically grateful. We can say things like, oh, I'm glad that that worked out. I was thinking of, of uh, my wife, Jess, is out in Virginia, so she's, she's away this week. And, uh, and that, that's a really easy way for me to remember how thankful I am for her. <laughs> she's so far away. And she's coming back on Tuesday, so you can pray for me that I don't uh, lose my mind. How did I ever make it without her? I wonder. But sometimes I can even fall into that same way of thinking. Like, oh, I'm so glad that I found you. <laughs> I'm so glad that we met. And that's true. But it's God who brought us together. Am I thankful for him and for his blessings in my life? It's easy for us to forget that God is he's the one who's working out everything in our lives. And he is our God and we are his people. You see, when we truly understand what that means, that that union with Christ and that we are his sons and his daughters now and that all the blessings of Christ belong to us. Will that not invigorate our prayer lives? Will that not give us more than enough reason to be thankful, regardless of the circumstances? I often come back to one of my favorite verses in Scripture when when thinking about this reality of our adoption and our our union with Christ, our relationship to him. Uh, First John chapter three, verse one, where he says, see what kind of love the father has lavished upon us. That we should be called sons and children of God. And so we are, John says. And so we are. Not and so we will be one day when we get our lives figured out. But it's and so we are now. Presently. In this very moment. See, when we pray, we have that privilege of of speaking with the creator of all the universe. But we can address him as father. No matter the circumstances, that ought to give us 
a thankful spirit as we pray. Well, so far we've, we've considered uh, that thankfulness and, and what that thankfulness should look like, that, that thankfulness that never ends. We've, we've seen that this kind of thankfulness should be marked by a joy and a joyful prayer life. We've seen how this thankfulness and prayer, they're, they're inseparable. That's, that's what the Christian life should look like. And we've seen that the direction of these prayers of joy should be directed toward God first and foremost. As the, the giver of life and the sustainer of all things. So that's what that thankfulness that never ends looks like. But that's easier said than done. Everything we've, we've just talked about, that, that's the goal. We would all like to have a better and a stronger and more consistent prayer life to to be rooted in that kind of a a joyful life that God can give. But if we're relying on our own strength to achieve it, we will ultimately fail and fall short. If we are only looking inward and looking to ourselves, we will find plenty of reasons to be unthankful. But if we look outside of ourselves and we consider what God has done and what God continues to do, We will find ourselves unable to do anything but give joyful praise and prayer and thanksgiving to him. Thanksgiving that never ends only comes from God's unending faithfulness. And so that's the second thing we want to consider. What is this this faithfulness that is unending? This opening... uh, uh, Thanksgiving that Paul has beginning in verse three, it's, it's really just one long sentence that he writes. And it's uh, and it's beautiful because Paul speaks so so clearly about why he is so thankful. And as we consider these verses, we see that there's there's three reasons why he's thankful, all of which ultimately find their source in what God has done in his unending faithfulness. So the first reason he gives thanks for is he gives thanks because of their remembrance of one another. That's why Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, this phrase uh, can be translated one of two ways. It can be translated like that in the ESV I just read. That's Paul's remembrance of the Philippians. It can just as easily be translated the other way as uh, as the Philippians' remembrance of Paul. And now certainly both are true. Paul never forgot about the Philippians, as the following verses make clear. And the Philippians never forgot about Paul, as, as, as the rest of the letter will make clear. They constantly were lifting him up in their prayers, sending him financial support uh, across the years, and even sending him Epaphroditus to, to bring him much-needed encouragement, as well as a monetary and ma- a material gift and assistance. So the first reason Paul is thankful to God is because of this mutual remembrance and bearing one another's burdens. It's because he knows the Philippians are thinking and praying for him. And this is an incredibly comforting reality. To know that somebody's in your corner. To know that somebody has your back. To know that the church is lifting up your cares and and your burdens. How, How important is what we do here as we pray for one another? How vital is that to the life of the church? And I've seen that on display in our church. Only having been here just a few months to see how we care for one another. That's a beautiful, it's a wonderful thing to see. And this is true for Paul. This is, this is true of him. And what's really fascinating 
It's how much of Paul's joy is found outside of himself and how much of Paul's joy is wrapped up in how the Philippians are doing. Uh, So Caleb and Cody and I were sitting at Chick-fil-A on Friday and we were talking about the sermon. And uh, and Caleb uh, brought up this point. He made this point. And so if this is not a good point, that's on that's on Caleb. All right. So just everybody. I'm sorry. I love you, man. I'm thankful for you for real. This is a good point. I'm. Yeah. We see this throughout the letter that Paul's joy is so tied and wrapped up in the Philippians. It's so outside of himself. Paul will say complete my joy. Well, how can the Philippians complete his joy? It's by being of the same mind, he'll say, of of taking to heart what he's written, of taking to heart the gospel and how it impacts their lives and how they are to live it out, to live worthy of the gospel. If you remember that from from last Sunday, that thesis statement of Paul's letter. He'll say later in this very passage how he's thankful to God for how God is working in them. So he's looking as they're looking to one another for for encouragement and support. That's the reason that he has for giving thanks. Thanks. Of course, it's a good thing for us to find joy in our relationships with one another. That does give us reasons to give thanks. But as wonderful as it is, it cannot be our our only reason. And so as as Paul, uh, as thankful as Paul was for the Philippians remembering him. It wasn't his chief reason for his thankfulness. And it can't be ours either. We all know that, that spouses and friends and, and parents and church members, pastors and elders, we, we'll all let each other down at some point. We're, we're all human. We're all, we're all sinners saved by grace. And we can be tempted to ground our joy and our thankfulness in others. But that cannot be our ultimate source of joy. Because there's a better place that we can look to. The second thing that Paul is thankful for is their partnership in the gospel. Now, even still here, we're not getting to that ultimate reason yet, but we need to stop here and consider this as well. We know that Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi because of their generosity. Most recently in the gift that they delivered by Epaphroditus coming to him, We'll see more of that in chapter four of the letter. And in response to their gift, Paul writes them uh, this letter because they have partnered with him in the gospel from the beginning, from the first day he stepped foot in Philippi until this very moment. Now we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to partner in the gospel? Well, that word partnership, you probably heard this word before, the koinonia, a Greek word for for fellowship. It's the word, New Testament word is very well known, the word for fellowship, the word for communion. When we partake of the Lord's Supper together, we are having fellowship and communion with the Lord Jesus himself. We have that koinonia with him. As God has saved us to himself, he's also saved us into a family and into relationship with one another. And so we have that koinonia, we have that fellowship, the spiritual fellowship with one another. And this is what Paul's talking about here. The Philippians were not passive recipients of, of, of Paul's gospel proclamation, but they became active in his ministry in, in the widest sense possible. Not just in, in partnering with him in an official ministry capacity, uh, but giving to him uh, generously, uh, financially, and, and doing the work in their daily lives. Partnering in the gospel in the sense of living out the implications of the gospel in each of their different circumstances. 
We see all of these things alluded to and referenced in this letter. And as they they shared uh, in Paul's ministry, they shared in his sufferings, they shared in his trials, they shared in his his uh, all of his work. They lifted him up constantly in their prayers. And truly, these these saints here in Philippi, they were the best church members any any church planter could ask for. Whatever Paul needed, they were there. They showed up early. They stayed late. They came to prayer meetings. They came to to, uh, all the different planning meetings and and all the Bible studies. Uh, Whatever he needed, they were there to help. And Paul was thanking them for that. He was thankful both for the Philippians' thoughtful remembrance of him and for their active participation in his ministry. But even though all of those were true, that still wasn't the main reason for giving thanks. There is one other reason, the chief reason, most important reason Paul had for giving thanks. And that was because of what God has done. Paul gives thanks because he is certain. The cause or the reason for Paul's thankfulness is that he is certain of something. He is positively convinced of a reality that spurs joyful and prayerful thanksgiving in Paul. And what what is it? It's one of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture. And I am sure of this, Paul says in verse 6. I am certain, sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the chief supreme reason and cause for Paul's thanksgiving, that the one who had begun this good work in the Philippian church is the same one who's going to bring it to completion. It's not on Paul, it's not on them, it's not on anything he can do. Even though he is chained and and miles away from them, he can know for sure that this church will survive because it's not resting upon his shoulders, it's resting upon Christ's shoulders. It's hard for our English translations to do justice sometimes to these long, drawn-out sentences from Paul. So if you're one to mark in your Bibles or if you're taking notes... You can draw a line that connects the phrase, I thank my God, in verse 3, and connect it down to, I am sure, in verse 6. Because there's a direct causal relationship between those two phrases. Verse 6 is the cause, it's the reason for verse 3. It is God's faithfulness for which Paul gives thanks. God was working in them from the very beginning, from the first day that Paul arrived, from the first meeting uh, with Lydia, uh, through his stay in the prison and through the conversion of that Philippian jailer, uh, through, through all of uh, those moments of that first church. And as Paul traveled to Thessalonica and other cities, as he was, he was cast aside and he was, uh, uh, the, the people were stirred up against him. And as he was uh, doing all these things, God was, was working in the Philippians to, to stir them up in prayer and to support Paul financially and to give him everything that he needs. And all of this stuff... Paul says all of these things are because of what God has done in their lives. And Paul is certain of this, that the same God who sent his spirit to begin this work in their lives, he will not abandon that work, but will keep at it and work and finish completely what he started when Jesus comes again. And so do you see then how this, how this supreme reason, it, it, uh, uh, 
it, it uh, uh, envelops the other two. You see, God is, God is the one who stirred up the Philippians to remember his needs. God is the one who is working with them to partner in the gospel. And not only does God, God begin the work, but he's the very same one who will complete the work as well. That word for, for complete, there's the same word for, uh, same word that Jesus uttered on the cross when he said, it is finished. That is the work that has been done. And that is where our thanksgiving and our joy must be grounded as well. And so if we wonder why our, our prayer lives are, are not what we want them to be or, or why we are lacking joy at times and being unthankful, is it possible that we have not anchored ourselves in the faithfulness of God and in His promises to us? Is it possible we have not considered the cross of Christ where God's unending faithfulness was on display most perfectly? Are we looking to the one who alone is both able and willing to save? The one who has already done all the work for us and who gives us his spirit and who will see us to the very end. I don't know how many uh, Ted Lassos there are in the room. I don't know how many uh, Pauls there are for that matter. I don't know if anyone of us here can say that they are satisfied with their prayer lives. And on top of that, I don't know if we can, we can say that we truly do pray uh, prayers that are characterized by this kind of joy. Well, we will not make it there on our own. We will not make it there perfectly in this lifetime. But there is one who is working in us. And the one who has begun the work, we can be certain, will bring that work to completion. So let's always look to him. To find that joy. Let's pray to him now together. Lord Jesus, we confess that we have all fallen short. That there is none righteous, not one. So Lord, as uh, we look to you, we look to the one who is our righteousness. And the same powerful spirit who raised you from the grave has also brought us from death to life. You have begun that work in us and we can look back over our lives and can already see that in every way you have been faithful to us, even as we have been faithless. And you will remain faithful. You will complete the work that you've begun in us. May that powerful truth and all, all the promises that you give us in your word, may they produce in us this constant and joyful and thank filled lives, always filled with prayer. May you receive all the glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.